Welcome to In the Studio with Michael Card. What you are about to hear was recorded several years ago at the Mole Inn Studio. Though some of the details about guests and ministries may have changed over the years, the powerful lessons from the music and conversations are as true as when we first heard them. You can stay current with Michael's music and teaching ministry via Facebook or Twitter when you search for Michael Card. Now, join us for this classic edition in the studio. This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard sitting here with Michael at Mole End Studio in Franklin, Tennessee. We're going to talk about slavery in the program today, Michael. Yeah, and on, in all sorts of areas. Uh, Sarah Groves is going to be here to talk about how slavery still exists and what we can do about that. Millions well, enslaved around the world today. And we're going to look at biblical slavery as well. Yeah, we'll do that with you in just a moment. Lee Benson is back with us today. Mm-hmm. Lee is an artist and teaches art at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. And we learned so much from Lee about how to how to experience uh, faith through art. Yeah, he's, he's a person like Makoto Fujimura who's integrated his uh, belief in Jesus with the art he creates. So he's he's going to be a great person yeah. to talk to again. You look pretty comfortable sitting there with a banjo on your lap. Well, I mean, actually, w- during uh, breaks while we're working on things, it's a it's a fun thing to play. I don't know how fun it is for y'all, but it... no, I get to sit here and listen to you play. That's great. <laughs> uh, well, since we're doing slavery, yeah. uh, you know, walk with me. That's his favorite song, Walk yeah. With Me, Lord. Pastor Denny's been with us in the program before. Yeah. Matter of fact, he, he sings that on one of your CDs, he does. doesn't he? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a Negro spiritual. And and one of the things that I've realized in studying slavery is that there's a richness. And we can learn an awful lot about what it means in the New Testament to be a slave from reading some of the slave narratives that we have from African slavery. Did I hear you say one time that actually the banjo itself comes from the American slavery? It time? is. It was, it was invented by African slaves. So... Uh, that's one of the things that really draws me to the banjo. In fact, one of my banjo heroes, uh, Bela Fleck, has actually worked on a documentary. He went back to Africa to discover the roots of, of the banjo. Amazing. Yeah. Well, you are working on a new book. We've talked about this before. Actually, I don't know how far along you are in the book, but we're, we're a bit of a focus group kind of here with you. Yeah. You're, you're kind of testing some of what you're learning with us as listeners. Well, anybody who's a friend and spends any time <laughs> it ends up being a, a focus group. Uh, I'm, I'm teaching it right now Wednesday nights at church. Oh, yeah. And so I'll share notes and what do you think about this? And uh, and and I just have to sort of process things out loud sometimes. That That's my learning style, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I heard one of those Wednesday night lectures recently where you mm-hmm. were teaching and, and you told me about the reaction of the, of the, was it a doctor in the crowd? Yeah, well, Jim Henderson, uh, uh, a wonderful brother who's just come back from 10 years of, of being a missionary in India. And Jim was so excited about, he goes, we need to be a church of slaves. He was so excited <laughs> about this idea. And it sounds a little bizarre, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe it needs to be. Well, if, if you think of it, uh, I think... Uh, slavery, the idea of being a slave to Christ, is really a parallel idea of 
of the cross, of taking up your cross, because crucifixion was a slave penalty. I mean, that's how slaves were put to death. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus dies like a slave. He's he's bought for 30 pieces of silver, which is the Old Testament, uh, the figure the Old Testament gives for what uh, the base price of a slave is. Mm-hmm. Jesus is purchased for the price of a slave. He washes their feet. He lives out really to the extreme what it means to be a slave. And uh, at least when he finishes washing their feet, he says, now I've set you an example, so you're supposed to do this as well. So we've got to be serious about what it means to be a slave to Christ. As we talked about this previously, we talked about terms in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. There are really terms that come out of slavery. Right, theological uh, terms that are basic. Yeah, sometimes they're kind of hidden to us, though, through translation. Yeah. Uh, here's one passage in Ephesians chapter 6 that it isn't hidden at all. It says, slaves obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear, mm-hmm. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Work hard not just to please your masters when they are watching. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. And it's it's a little bit difficult for us to imagine in in our 21st century world, but in Paul's time, uh, a good percentage of the early church were people who were slaves. Uh, Then and there, if you look at the long uh, lists of greetings, especially in a book like Romans, a lot of those uh, the people in those lists are are slaves. Uh, They have slave names. Uh, uh, Rufus is a slave name. It's uh, the technical term is a servile cognomia. But <laughs> yeah, I knew that. <laughs> use that in your next uh, discussion. But Aristarchus, uh, he's he's mentioned uh, several times in Acts and in Colossians and and also in Philemon, which is a a letter written mm-hmm. on behalf of a runaway right. slave. And uh, and you know I've made this point before, but I love to talk about Luke. Luke is a slave name. Lucas is a slave name. Uh, it's derived from the name of his owner, who's whose name was Lucian. But he was a physician. And and physicians in the first century were almost virtually all slaves, all professionals. One of the things you have to understand in the first century in, in Roman culture is that uh, the, 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 the height of, of culture was to not have a job at all. Work was despised, even work that we look upon as professional. So lawyers and doctors uh, and you know, people who clean the sewers, they were all slaves. Uh, it was a huge slave economy in the first century. You know, I just read from Ephesians chapter 6, and my eye just fell down to the next page, Philippians 1. Look at verse 1. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Yeah, and that that's, must be NLT because they they translate the term uh, doulos or douloi, they're mm-hmm. plural. Mm-hmm. Uh, they translate that, that as slave. And the word, the basic New Testament word for slave is the word doulos, although there are other words uh, but it comes from uh, the root that means bound. Yeah. This is a person who is bound. But slavery is such an oppressive, evil thing. Yeah. I mean, and here it is. Yeah. How do How do you reconcile that? And that's one of the things. <laughs> that's one of the things I'm wrestling with now, uh, because in the first place, I find it interesting. Uh, just all the different regulations and, and, and what it was like to live as a slave. But when you read uh, especially some of the accounts of African slavery, because one of the things we don't have, Wayne, from the first century is we don't have any slave narratives. Uh, the, the only people who um, talked about slaves were uh, well, most, all, most of the time were uh, playwrights, people like Petronius, who would write uh, plays that would make fun of slaves. 
But the wonderful thing we have uh, out of the, the horror of African slavery is that we have these incredible slave narratives of people like Frederick Douglass mm-hmm. and uh, Equianus Alado, who, who actually was a slave in Africa and tells the whole story from beginning to end of what it was like to be captured, to be put on a boat, mm-hmm. and, and to be taken uh, to the Caribbean to be sold as a slave. Yeah, it's interesting you should mention that. I just finished a biography of sorts on Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. and Douglass was so influential there, and their he friendship was. was so rocky, and it makes me want to go read a biography of Frederick Douglass, so I'm going to look one up soon. Well, here. the wonderful thing is he wrote his own, uh, it's, it's in his own language, oh. and so, yeah, you read that, or you read something like Up From Slavery uh, by Booker T. Washington. Uh, both Douglass and Washington were born into slavery. Uh, Douglass gives us, I think, the best look uh, at the cruelty of slavery, hmm. uh, the scenes, unbelievable scenes of, of slave masters beating their slaves and quoting the Bible to them as they beat them. Okay. How then can we look to all this and say, well, isn't it nice the Bible talks about being yeah, a slave? Yeah, come be a slave for yeah, Christ. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why I say that the idea of slavery and the idea of the cross are parallel, because what more gruesome image is there than the cross, where you are physically nailed up there and you, you it's death by exhaustion, uh, and, and then Jesus will turn and say, okay, Mike, Wayne, take up your cross and follow me. Hmm. That, that gruesome image of dying to yourself, and that's what slavery is. Slavery is a parallel image where we are called upon to let go of our rights, to let go of uh, any demands that we make, any expectations. A slave has no expectations. And, and I think most importantly, to let go of your identity, not that you become a, a, a doormat, but that you take on this whole other identity. And what you need to know in the, in the first century, the worst thing in the world wasn't to be a slave. The worst thing in the world was to be a poor person and, and no one owned you. Hmm. No one to take care of you. Yeah, and no, and no one to derive this identity from, but to be the slave of, of an influential person, much less a slave to the person who created the universe, uh, that's where uh, your identity comes from. And um, th- that's just where we start. But uh, Paul, especially Paul, applies it and talks about how you're going to be free uh, from uh, judging another person's servant. You're going to be free from g- grumbling. You're going to uh, discover what your father's name is because, I've said this before, uh, Frederick Douglass makes the point that no slave uh, knew what their, what their father's name mm-hmm. was. And now through the spirit of slavery, now we're, we're not saved from it, we're saved through it. And, and by, by a means of coming through this experience of being a slave to Christ, we, we're able to, to cry out, Abba, Father. And then the other point I want to make is, too, um, you know, Jesus will say in John, you know, I don't call you slaves anymore, I call you brothers. And because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing, that kind of business. Uh, but what you'll notice, and you, are, you already noticed, uh, Wayne, is that people like Paul and James and Jude... Uh, and Peter, they sign themselves off still. Their identity mm-hmm. is still that I'm a slave mm-hmm. because I think that's something that, that goes on side by side. Yes. Are you free? Yes. Uh, have you been redeemed? Yes. Are you adopted as a son or a daughter? Yes. And at the same time, you and I still sign off yeah. as you know, my attitude. Wayne Shepherd, mm-hmm. a servant, a slave of mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Do you think we have an aversion to seeing this in the New Testament because of our recent history of, of American slavery, for I, instance? I do, and, and part of what I want to do in this book is to reimagine what the word slave means. And for me, what that means is I've got to understand 
what Old Testament slavery was like because that's what Jesus and Paul bring to us. I have to understand somewhat what uh, slavery in the New Testament era was like because that's the setting, obviously, that it comes to us from. But I also think we have to understand what the African-American slave experience was like because that's the world that you and I bring Mm -hmm. to it. And uh, and so uh, part of what I want to do is compare and contrast those three worlds and so that so that when you say slave, I'm a slave to Christ, there's there's a, a more biblical image in mind. And and then most importantly, I think, uh, when I call Jesus Lord or Master, I understand that part of that, a very important part of that image, in fact, probably the, the heart of that image is a slave mm-hmm. image. Sounds like you're pretty far along in, well, in turning this into a book. I can I can sort of blather in bits and pieces, <laughs> but I haven't put it all together yet. But that's that, and I ask for prayer. If you're listening out there, um, pray for me as I try to say something meaningful about this. Mm-hmm. A better freedom. You want a better freedom? Become a slave to Christ. It's the only way to be free. You want to be wise? Become a fool. You want to be really mature? Become a child. You want to be rich? Become poor. It's part of that whole paradox of what it means to follow Jesus. Well, then in light of this conversation, I think it's appropriate, we're going to ask you to sing a song called To Follow You here in the studio. Which was written by a person who identified himself uh, as a slave, uh, Simon Peter in Second uh, Peter 1.1, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, he says of himself. Hmm. Later in the second half of our program today, Sarah Groves will be here to talk about modern-day slavery. If you think it's over, you're wrong. In fact, she'll, I think she'll tell us that more, more people in slavery now than at yeah. any time in the history of the world. Sarah, coming up later in our program today. But right now, Michael Card in the studio with this song, To Follow You.
to your sacrifice I gave up my home But you left paradise And what you call me to offer Has really set me free Cause you left everything to be with me So with joy I embrace a faith that calls me from home And I will cling to your promise That I am never alone And with each passing moment I'll keep hoping it's true I left everything to follow you Everything to follow, everything to follow you. Everything to follow, everything to follow, everything to follow you. Every time I hear you sing that, I think of the first time I heard you sing it in concert. You were in Budapest, Hungary, and hmm. a group of uh, missionaries had gathered together for a conference, and it meant so much to them and to me that you would sing to follow you. Yeah, that's Michael. a missionary song. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Lee Benson is back with us in the studio here today. We started our conversation last week. Yeah, we never really finished the conversation no, at all. that's why I said we started yeah. it, yeah. So we want to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, Lee is uh, the head of the art department, chairman of the art department, is that the right word? Yeah. yeah, head you, chairman or he's, you, you he's the big wig. I make the coffee in the morning. <laughs> I get there first and make the coffee. He's at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, and an artist yourself, and that's what we want to talk about today. What What do you do? I know you're a sculptor. Uh, I do large-scale architectural work that has a, a human component that... Um, now you gotta explain that to me. I mean, the, even architectural, what do you mean by architectural? That uh, finds its roots in architecture, post and lintel the arch, oh. sort of the building blocks of all okay. architecture where you have uh, two pillars and a post across the top uh, mm. that, uh, or an arch, two pillars and an arch at top, that's sort of the foundation for architecture and uh, uh, just I resonate with that form of the arch, the doorway the sort of entering in mm. and uh, then combine that a lot with the figure and uh, really taking its roots out of um, the great cathedrals of Western Europe, these arches, but then, um, you know, that they were they were bibles in stone. I know that's a cliche, but it, they absolutely absolutely were. Mm-hmm. And uh, that word then, picture. yes, and these uh, these churches, then they covered them with uh, um, with with sculpture. It's just uh, because you had an illiterate populace, much like we do today. But I mean, we have an illiterate populace as far as the uh, as far as the word goes, mm-hmm. and so takes its roots out of that. We'll have to get a picture or two from Lee that we can put on the website so yeah. people can see what we're talking see your about work. here. Yeah, yeah, that'd be wonderful. Great. Uh, so you work in clay? Yes. Primarily? So, yes. Um, on occasion, do um, uh, wood piece. In fact, I'm trying to move more into um, into wood just because I'm getting older. and <laughs> It's lighter? Yes, yeah, much lighter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, scale is addictive to you. You, you know, the bigger you... Make it the bigger the next piece seems to need to be. Yeah. But, uh, what's what's the process with uh, with wood then? Are you, are you talking about a carving? Uh, no, actually, would be uh, um, building. 
um, with uh, wooden two by fours. Uh, sort of harkens back to almost my earliest history as a young, a very very small boy. My grandfather was a um, um, he worked in the wood plants, supervised wood plants, furniture mm-hmm. plants, and uh, he would one Christmas he gave us several boxes of of wooden blocks and we spent hours and hours stacking these things up and building spaces <laughs> you know, that we could get into. Little and, did you know. And uh, so that harkens way back to my early history. Well, if you were not with us last week, I hope you go to the website and listen to our conversation with Lee as we talked about the, really the, the motivation for art comes first and foremost out of a, a love for Christ and what Amen. kind of people, what kind of person are you as a follower of Christ and the art is a byproduct of that. So mm-hmm. I'm anxious for listeners to see some of Lee's work. Michael. Yeah, so so in in your own work, I mean, last week you told us it's it's not really about the artifact. You tell your students it's not about the thing you create. It's about, you know, who, who you are in Christ and then how that, don't let me put words in your mouth, but how that overflows, how the work of art flows from who you are exactly well first and foremost it would overflow in that it's it's very well crafted i mean you have to start there i mean Uh craftsmanship is the sort of the cornerstone of great works of art and so um uh, you lay that foundation early on and then um, creativity um, seems to flow out of that and then um, it opens up doors uh, for for ministry, not in not in evangelistic ministry mm-hmm. where you're going to preach, but where you have gallery shows and uh, it certainly and, opens conversations. Yes, doesn't and it? so yeah. that, that uh, people ask you about your work and um, read your artist statement, uh, read uh, conversational. I mean, uh, read commentary about your work, and so it opens up a lot of doors. Mm-hmm. That way. That process that, that Lee was talking about, isn't it much the same with music? you got to have kind of the, the foundation, and then you, the creativity is built on top of that. Well, well what's, it's interesting to me that you can you can just work out of the gift if you want to. There are people that are, are gifted who can, you know, musically or artistically do great things. And, and my experience has been people think they are their gift. Hmm. And they don't. Know, that's why I like so much the way you put it, that, that first comes who you are and, and uh, the person that Christ is creating you to be and then the art comes out of that because what i've seen so often is the is the opposite uh, a person who's got great gifts and and they can make artifacts they can write great songs or paint great paintings or whatever but that there's no connection with their soul and so uh, that's what i wanted to hear you you know say though in your experience uh, specifically in in the form that you uh, the, the sculpture that you do I mean, what what's that like? I mean, do you pray before you do the piece, or does it come to you, or is there a burden to do this particular? You know, what I'm saying, how how does your yourself come first, and then the piece come? That's my question. Uh, I, I don't know that any of those apply to the actual to to me actually being in the studio. Um, I do all of those things as as a part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Art tends to be a byproduct of all of those things. Many times I learn more about uh, meditation and more about God as I'm working as in, in the process. And I'm very process-oriented. Mm-hmm. I, I thoroughly enjoy the process of creating. And then once the product is made, I'm, I'm done You're with, done I don't, with I, I'm, I'm not interested in looking at it. I'm not interested in... I'm interested in making that next piece, that process. Now, it's a pretty tactile thing, right? I guess the, at least the clay part. Absolutely. And... Um, it has a lot to do with the sensitivity of your fingers. Clay, um, you have to be incredibly sensitive to what the clay's doing, and that that sensitivity can only come through the tips of your fingers. And I often tell my students that 
this is sort of a metaphor for it, that you, um, pain is the only way by which we know we are alive. And I asked them, you know, can anyone tell me what their fingertips feel like right now? And invariably no one can, nor can you in this studio right Mm. now. And yet if I say, you know, if you go out hiking in the winter and you don't have your gloves on, you uh, begin to feel your fingertips because their fingertips, your fingertips begin to to hurt. Mm -hmm. And so you are fully made aware of the life in your fingertips by the pain that they're experiencing. And that just has a, a, a great relationship to how pain often is the way by which we grow into sort of this intimate relationship with Christ Jesus. And, the, and through the pain of life is how we are made aware of our life in Christ. So as you're, as you're sculpting the clay, is that, I mean, that literally, is that a painful process? I mean, can be, that be hey, painful? Oh, you can ask my wife when I get home. Mm-hmm. I'm, huh. I'm dragging. Uh, huh. Physically, it is a very tiring and taxing thing to do. But um, hmm. um, I also want to make this clear about uh, we talked in our last program about um, does does art lead someone to the Lord? And I said not necessarily, but art does sensitize one to beauty, and and in that sensitivity, and who created beauty? Yes, yeah. that you have to. I mean, there's a direct line mm-hmm. then to God. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a great argument against evolution is that. Mm. You know, as you stand around admiring beauty, the other guy is hoeing the crops and feeding himself. And so, obviously, this appreciation for beauty would have long ago <laughs> disappeared. disappeared because yeah. Yeah. you're wasting your time <laughs> because it doesn't, it doesn't make you fit to uh, – and that's not my argument. That's a yeah. Dr. Hal Poe sort of in a, in a book he, uh, he wrote. I read that in that mm. book, and mm. I thought how true that is, and I've often mm. used that in my classroom yeah. that um, – People that we would have been far left behind as artists. We would have never evolved. Mm-hmm. Wow. Really, we would have been so far down on the food chain because we're sitting around looking at the beautiful sunset. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, I'm sorry, our time is, is just about gone here, but i got to get a quick answer from you. Uh, if we know a young person especially who has this bent towards uh, art, what can we say or do to them to encourage them? How should we encourage them? I, I think it's incredibly important that a young person... Uh, place themselves under a great mentorship relationship. Uh, there is nothing uh, uh, greater for a young person to be under the guidance and leadership of a mature artist who have has been through all the trials. And I know Michael is fully aware of this. That there's a, you know, it's not all sitting at the piano playing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of hard work and a lot of heartbreak, rejection in the arts. I mean, the arts is full of rejection and denials. And so to, to, to subject oneself to that sort of mentorship, I think that's key. And uh, I'll put a plug in for you university. I, I can't think of a better place to do it. Sounds like you're university. doing it well. Mm-hmm. It really does. Yeah. Michael, you may be the parental beneficiary of that someday yeah. soon. Huh? I have a child who is gonna actually going to union. And uh, I, I'm, I'm happy and excited for him that uh, he's going to get to hang with you and George and some of the other brothers down there, and and uh, and this won't hopefully won't be your last time here. Hopefully, we can get together again and and talk some more, and uh, maybe have you and Makoto together. That would be a fun thing it. to do. I have thoroughly enjoyed yeah. this afternoon. Yeah. It's just been a treat, just a just a great treat in my heart and soul to just sit here and I'll, I'll listen to your earlier guests, and then to to talk to you all. It's just been yeah. very refreshing and affirming. Oh, good. Well, be encouraged. Be encouraged. 
Thanks, Lee. Great to have you with us today. And we are coming to the halfway point here in the studio with Michael Card. We hope that you'll take a moment and pass along your questions about the Bible or living the Christian life. We can be reached at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. And we're thankful for each of you who sends your story of how God is working through this time together each week. Take a moment and pass along your email when you contact us at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Through the web, you can discover more about Michael's music and teaching ministry, and you can find how to access our audio archive and program podcast. Just type michaelcard.com. Again, that's michaelcard.com. It's our desire to provide extra resources to guide you as you grow in your faith, and you can find more books and music, including one that details the relationship between Michael and his mentor, Dr. William Lane, called The Walk. All this and more can be found at www.michaelcard.com. Coming up in the second half, we'll read some email comments, and we'll talk about the tragedy of modern-day slavery with singer-songwriter Sarah Groves. In the Studio continues after these messages. going to prepare for Holy Week on the next session in the studio with Michael Card. In this new edition, Pastor Colin Smith joins us to talk about Judas and the lessons his story has for us. And Michael will share several songs and thoughts about the events of Holy Week and the significance of the cross of Christ. Take an hour to prepare your heart to celebrate Good Friday. Look for this current post and tell a friend about this podcast. Subscribe to Michael Card in iTunes or Google Play. And welcome back into the studio with Michael Card. If you'll stay with us for a few minutes, you'll hear Sarah Groves join us in the studio. Well, technically on the telephone, Sarah will be with us. But she was with us in the studio recently. We recorded a song that you'll hear as a part of our conversation. Yeah, she's a great songwriter, but we're going to see another part of her ministry, her ministry to those who are enslaved all over the world today. And uh, Sarah's just going to help us uh, become active and uh, do something about it. She will sing Remember, Surrender coming up in just a few minutes in the studio here with Michael Card. How about a question from a listener? This question has to do with hypocrisy. Hmm. Michael, are you, are you qualified to answer this question? <laughs> that didn't come out right, did it? <laughs> no, unfortunately, it came out just right. You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, this listener says, your uh. weekly program is very thought-provoking. I thoroughly enjoy it. It's been a blessing every time I listen. I have a question for you. When I was a new believer... I used to think that all Christians should be perfect, and when I find somebody who is not perfect, I used to consider them hypocrites. Now, as I grow in my spiritual life, I find that every believer in Christ is capable of making mistakes, and it is not unusual or uncommon. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But how do I deal with this issue with the new believers or non-believers who expect all the Christians to be perfect and have it all together? How can we Christians make the world understand our position, or what is our responsibility in this regard? to dealing with the world's expectation in our weakness to fall. Well, it, it sounds like she's, she's uh, come a ways in under, an understanding that she doesn't have to be perfect mm-hmm. uh, because uh, this walk that we have uh, is part of a process where, whereby God is, is transforming us to the image of Christ. He doesn't do it instantaneously. Uh, some people wrongly think. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so I think the best way we can uh, share this with the world is to live in a, a genuinely live that struggle out. You know, and, yeah, I don't think that the point is that we, we come alongside those in the world and talk about things like perfection and, you know, you should be doing better and that sort of thing. I think if we enter into the struggles with them, 
because that's what Jesus does. I mean, the woman taken in adultery, what does he do? Does he give her a lecture? No. No, he actually, in, in a sense, defends her from the people who are criticizing her, who, who actually did live in a world where they thought you could be perfect. Those yeah. are the Pharisees. Yeah. But Jesus, if he stands with anybody, he stands with the people who are flawed and, and who are struggling. And um, I do think we, we need to live for Christ and, and, and uh, by his grace, you know, do the best we can to, uh, to do better and to live better lives. But um, I, I know the people, I mean, we, my best friend, uh, Scott Rowley, is, is one of the people who, who uh, is so transparent about his struggles and his flaws. And then um, at the same time, he's the person that I see the grace of God yeah. in. You more. really admire him for the struggle, don't yeah, you? Yeah, so I think in terms of living it out, in terms of the question uh, from the email, I think the best thing you can do is not to necessarily uh, dictate it to the world, but but to say, you know, I'm 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 going to stand with you and join you in the struggle. How be about real, that? Be authentic. Let me join you, and yeah. that'll win the day. Because the tone she was expressing about non-believers, um, I think a lot of times that's just their way of it's just another dodge <laughs> for Christianity. Yeah, well, you should right. all, you should all be perfect, and you know, it's just another way of uh, closing the door in your face. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right, thank you, Charlotte, for your question. Hey, let's get you to sing a song here in the studio. Then we'll bring Sarah Groves yeah. on the line with us. This is called Distressing Disguise. Michael Card. He is in the pain, and he is in the need, and he is in the poor. We are told to feed Though he was rich for us He became poor How could he give so much? What was it for? In his distressing disguise He hopes that we'll realize That we rob our brothers by all that we own And that's not the way he has shown Every time a faithful servant serves a brother that's in need what happens at that moment is a miracle indeed as they look to one another in an instant it is clear only Jesus is visible for they both disappeared and he is in the hand that reaches out to give And he is in the touch that causes us to live. So speak with your life now as well as your tongue. And shelter the homeless, take care of the young. For in his distressing disguise, he hopes that we'll realize That when we take care of the poorest of them We've really done it to 
Thank you, Michael. What an appropriate song to sing leading into our next discussion. Yeah. We'll uh, talk with Sarah Groves here in a moment. And Jesus says when we would, we've done it to the least of these, we've done it to him. His mm-hmm. radical identification with the poor and with those who are hurting. And uh, our good friend Sarah Groves has has come alongside the Lord in a, in a, in a new way <laughs> to take her stand. Hey, Sarah. Hey. How are you doing? We're doing okay. How are you doing? That's the big question. I'm doing well. <laughs> Just I wish am. you could be with us in the studio here, Sarah. I know. I do, too. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> Next time in Franklin. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about distressing disguise. Uh, actually, the issue that has grabbed your heart these last couple of years, Sarah, is the whole issue of human trafficking and slavery. And, I mean, you're, you're a busy young mom. You've got a life and, you know, a, a music career, so to speak. And why did you have to go looking for something like this? Well, I feel like I did. I, I feel like it found me. I don't feel like I went looking for it. Um, I, I had been um, approached by someone a long time ago who said you should hear about this organization, International Justice Mission. Um, a little bit before that, I should say I had seen something on on human trafficking and on the children that were being trafficked, and it was so horrific for me as a mom. And my mom's heart couldn't handle it. And it was something that I thought, you know, I just will never. I can't take that in because. It will only, it'll just increase my burden. And um, to, to keep the long story short, my involvement with International Justice Mission has not increased my burden, but increased my joy hmm. um, in ways that I can't even explain and has infused Troy in my, um, you know, so-called career <laughs> with a lot of um, with meaning and, and a lot of joy. That's, that's just the the best word for it, even though we're also confronted with, the, you know, the worst evil. Yeah, how, mankind. How, can you, how, how can you say that when you've seen the things that you've seen, Sarah? Well, um, you know, I, I guess when you feel like you can't do anything about these things, you know, that is just a horrible, horrible feeling. And um, I, as, as an ex-history teacher, you know, I love these stories of, of triumph. I mean, Harriet Tubman gets free from her from her um, master and beating and, you know, all these this horrible situation, having been separated from her family. And she makes it north, and then she decides to come back um, to save 300 more people, physically carrying her parents to Canada, literally mm-hmm. physically carrying her mom and dad to Canada. And I to learn that there's a very real Underground Railroad uh, alive and well today, even though they're, they're literally getting people out sometimes one at a time, um, I just it to me it is it is cause for celebration that that people in the church are responding this way and that it's all it's all being done out of out of deep conviction of God's heart for justice. Sarah, can you give us an a, sort of an overview uh, of the situation? I mean, in, internationally, what what countries are hotspots and and you know what's happening where? Yeah, I think the most compelling numbers are you know in our history of of transatlantic slave trading, um, you know, you think that this is a, an issue of the past. And even I, as a sort of a, I thought I was well-read and, and kind of knew what was going on. And to learn that there are 27 million slaves, almost twice as many pe- people enslaved today as there were in our 400 years of transatlantic slave trading mm. was um, just baffling. I, mm. I didn't understand that. And I guess I had thought, well, that's how kind of how things are in these countries that it's sort of a, it's a debt, it's someone is working off a debt, but 
upon further investigation, um, it, it is not. that That's not the case. Someone will be enslaved for a $25 debt, for instance, for, wow. for generations. You know, a, a man and his son and his son's son. You know, I, uh, I think this bears repeating, Michael and Sarah, because... When we watch movies, and it was a terrific movie, the Wilberforce movie, Amazing Grace, mm-hmm. and, and we see on the screen that there were 11 million African slaves at that time, and we were so indignant about that. Mm-hmm. But, Sarah, you're saying that there are over twice as many people today, in, in our day, who are enslaved. And many of them women and children, and many of them in the um, in the brothels and the sex trade industry. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's worth looking at. If, if we felt compelled to address this in our own country then, yeah, I guess the question would be, um, should we then be compelled to address these things today? So in, in I know in Western Africa and like in Sudan, there's um, there's chattel slavery, right? Just kidnapping uh, people forced to work in the fields. But so what are internationally, what, what are some other areas that are um, their hotspots? Well, there's Definitely a lot of slavery in Southeast Asia where people, it's, it's a bonded slavery issue where, again, like someone has a sickness in their family, they mm-hmm. have a $25, $400, to us a seemingly small debt, and then they end up being bonded to this uh, money lender for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And um, um, Najara is an example of this, worked in a brick factory and was beaten, and the women were brutalized and raped. And so he, this is a father, he's watching his family, this happened to his family, and and he decided to do something about it, contacted the International Justice Mission, had found out about International Justice Mission, and he risked his life to try to escape with his family. And um, IJM was able to build a case against his, the, the man holding him and the other men brutalizing them, and they were able to prosecute them. So hmm. justice was served in that small, in that one place. And the, the neat story is that, that in his country, you are able to apply for grants if um, if you were a bonded slave, and so they applied for a grant, and he now owns a brick factory, hmm. um, the, the place that he had worked for years, and his father and his son were imprisoned, and now um, now they they own their own factory, along with the, the people that were enslaved with him. They all own it together, hmm. and his, his initials are stamped on those bricks, because wow. they, they yeah. stamp on the brick the initial... Of the of the owner, and so his family name, his family symbol, is stamped on those bricks. Mm. So it's just really in- incredible to hear about those stories in in Southeast Asia, uh, Cambodia, Thailand, for instance. There's a lot of human trafficking to brothels, but that's now been, you know, that's now happening everywhere around the world, even in our own even in our own country. Um, but yeah. this is just rape for profit and. There's an area in Cambodia, Svepak, where for 10 years, for, for, liter- for a decade, ran unchecked. And if you were a pedophile and you wanted to abuse a child, this is where you went. And there was a lot of, of what was called sex tourism to these areas. And IJM found, uh, secured the first prosecution of a brothel owner and the first prosecution of a Western sex tourist, a man from Canada that was going to Cambodia to abuse children. Mm. So um, even though they only the rescues, they may rescue 40 kids or they may rescue, you know, 20 women here or there, the precedent is being set, and the Internet chat is now, stay out of this area, you, you know, you could be caught. So Excellent. The, the conversation has changed. I know there's a lot of information about this on your website, Sarah, and we're going to link you to ours at michaelcard.com so our listeners can be brought up to date on the work mm-hmm. of International Justice Mission and, and your heart for this, Sarah. You have traveled, though. You've seen some. You've met some of these people. Uh, you told us the story a moment ago. Personalize it, though, with a young woman that you met recently. 
Yeah, one of the greatest honors of my life is to meet Elizabeth. And she, um, at 15 years old, she wanted to go to Bible college in her area. It was, it was, it's not um, common to be a believer, but she was a believer. Her family were Christians, and she wanted to go to Bible college. A trusted woman in the community told her she could get a job in a noodle factory working in a, in a neighboring town. So she traveled with this woman, and this woman betrayed her, sold her to a brothel owner, and they waited for a month. They wait for the highest bidder for her virginity. And once that came, then she was brutalized daily. And um, she, uh, you know, obviously they brainwashed them and, and beat them so they are afraid to leave or run away. But she um, prayed every day, and the girls mocked her. They said, God cannot hear you here. And she wondered. She said, maybe he can't hear me here, but this is all that I have. And... Um, she prayed that God would rescue her, and eight months to the day that she was there, an IJM operative came and asked her, do you want to be free? And she um, she said yes, and they built a case and rescued her and some other girls from her brothel. And uh, when they went back in to get some of her belongings, they found scrawled on the wall in her own language above her mattress in this little floor, little room where she had serviced six to ten men a day, Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And uh, and so on and, and you know the what what an incredible moment to walk in a place like that and see the word of God written on the wall. Hmm. She's 19 now, has graduated from from college, and in social work has a degree in social work and hopes to work with girls coming out of brothels. So um, yeah, so the, the, her my meeting her was I, I felt like I was in the presence of royalty. Hmm. That's a stunning story. Yeah, it is. She's an amazing. She's an amazing girl. She's telling her story too, which is is even braver. <laughs> I can't imagine. And how old was she when she was taken that way? She was fifteen when she was trafficked. Yeah. And I'm sure it happens to girls even younger than that. Many girls. Oh, there's one raid that's very was covered by Dateline, and so it's very notorious. But they, um, IJM, did a raid in Sve Pak, this area of Cambodia, and rescued a little girl, five five years old, in among forty girls or thirty seven girls. The ages ranged from five to fifteen years old. So, explain your your work. Is your work basically getting the word out, or helping to raise funds for IJM, or I mean, what exactly are you doing, or all those things? And what can we do? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's um, IJM has first of all an amazing website. It's IJM.org, and I have some information on my website. I'm working on another site that talks more about what we're doing, but um, we'll, I always We'll link them people, all to michaelcard.com. Yeah, I always point people to them because they, they've they been doing this for 10 years and are, are um, have it down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they have, you know, they talk about education. First of all, I think a lot of, like soccer moms like myself, are afraid to educate ourselves because it, it feels like it's going to be too big. Um, advocacy always, you know, advocating for people who don't have a voice. And then that also means maybe taking some kind of political action always putting pressure on our on our representatives to say look if a country is tolerating this kind of behavior um, then then we need to put pressure on them and that kind of pressure has been working and and Mike you mentioned that brochure or off the air about something mm-hmm. you saw a warning or some kind of thing in your hotel in Thailand I think that 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 kind of thing is proof that that the laws are are beginning to work. What was that, Mike? Well, I was recently in in the northern part of Thailand in Chiang Mai and at a conference, and in the hotel room was, I mean, it was just a normal looking hotel room, and and I, I looked at the the little booklet that had the, you know, what the hotel 
the you know what the room service menu mm-hmm. and that Guest sort of thing. Sure. And in the back was a pamphlet on child prostitution and if you know these are the penalties and if a child is brought to your room and it was it was just mind boggling. But uh, to have to warn about something like that. Yeah, but but it's interesting to talk to Sarah now to see to almost to be encouraged that at least that was there and right. there was something being said and done. Probably wouldn't have been there just a few short years ago because of people like uh, International Justice Mission and and people who have hearts like Sarah. Sarah, thank you. I'm sorry our time is gone. And, That's all right. But we, we need to get you back in the studio. You know that. I would love to. <laughs> That's an open invitation. I think I can say it on behalf of Michael here. Have you been able to write any songs, or is this too... I've been trying. I do feel like on this new... I'm recording in possibly in April. Uh-huh. And uh, before I get too... I'm pregnant, so before I get uh-huh. too big. Um, and uh, I, I have some songs about... About I wrote a song for Elizabeth. I've written a few for Elizabeth because mm-hmm. she has inspired me a great deal. So we'll see what ends up making it on there. And I, I really, I want to inspire people. I don't. I know the stories leave you heavy-hearted, but Elizabeth would too. She she wants people to feel the hope of of actually something happening yeah. and, and that there are rescues taking place right. one at a time. Well, Sarah, since you're not here with us today, we're going to reach back to last time you were in the studio with us and ask you to sing this song. Uh, remember, surrender. And uh, Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye.
you, Sarah. And we have come to the end of this session in the studio with Michael Card. If you have a reaction to what's been presented today, then please get in touch with us. Send your comments as well as your prayer requests and Bible questions to studio at michaelcard.com. Through the web, you can stay connected with all that's going on with this broadcast and find the link to the ministry Sarah mentioned at www.michaelcard.com. Now, if you missed any part of this broadcast or if you need to listen again, we hope you'll take full advantage of our radio archive. And online, you can find out more about how to access the program podcast. And another way to stay connected with the program is through the e-devotional. Each week, Michael prepares scripture and thoughts that coincide with the broadcast. And you'll find information at michaelcard.com. Also, we are excited to be a member of the RBC family of ministries. And if you're looking for new ways to connect with God's Word, then check out the great resources and devotionals that can enrich your study of the Bible. You can find the way to these extensive web tools through the link to RBC at michaelcard.com. Our producer is Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the Studio with Michael Card is produced in cooperation with RBC Ministries and the Moody Broadcasting Network.